to the Beside the Point podcast. You're back with your favorite host, Dallin and Parker, and we're here, back together, real life. Dude, it has been four months since we've seen each other. We just saw each other for the first time last week. I know. And Dallin safely made it home from Spain. Yep, I'm back. And even more real than ever, you guys can see us, hopefully. Um, hopefully there's a video that goes along with this that we'll post up too, which is super exciting. A little bit nerve-wracking, but a little bit more fun, honestly. Yeah, since all of the millions of views that we've been getting on our podcast, we were able to actually purchase our own recording studio. Yeah, um, fully decorated, as you can tell. There's, yep. Yeah, there's posters of different musicians and yeah, professional soundproofing and everything. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> definitely not just like a blanket and in my basement. Yeah, yeah, definitely not. <laughs> oh man, man, we're the year's coming to an end. Christmas is in a few days, and then it's the new year, and yeah. Here we are. It's crazy. It's pretty exciting. Dallin, what what are you getting for Christmas? Oh, I'm hoping for... I really don't know. I, I'm not wanting anything. After Spain, like, I'm seriously just fine. Okay. I'm content with whatever now. Dallin's Christmas present was Spain. Yeah, basically. So I'm I'm content. What about you? Okay. What are you hoping for? Um, hoping to get a bike this year um, <laughs> because I'm starting a new job next Lit. summer. So I'm going to be... Uh, commuting downtown and the parking situation is a little bit tricky mm. so um need a bike to get back and forth from work so how far of a bike is it shouldn't be more than like a half a mile so it's pretty short nice. um and like the, the street that i live on i live at the top of the street and then the office is kind of at the bottom of the street and so it's a very slight incline downwards which in the mornings will be really nice to get to work. Yeah. And then after work, when in you're the already exhausted. <laughs> in the middle of summer at 5 p.m., biking back in the sun, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, yeah. yeah it, it'll work out. You got it. Sweet. Man, this is fun. Yeah. But yeah, years coming to an end, which means that it's time for this episode that we've been looking for for a long time, mm -hmm. which is our year end list, our favorite songs and well, favorite albums. Yeah. But, so last yeah. week we um, talked about our Spotify wrapped, mm -hmm. kind of the Christmas present coming together of like what was our year looking like mm -hmm. and not that we have like much control over like what was on that list. Um, it was kind of just like us reading what happened. What we want to do in this episode is definitely cover a lot more of like what were the releases this year in terms of songs and albums, albums especially that we had the most appreciation for. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you, but sometimes there'll be an album that is like a masterpiece, but it doesn't get as much like listen time as another album that's like a little bit easier to listen to. Yeah. So we're going to talk about all of the many, many albums that have come out this year and try to narrow it down by some possibility to just like a few. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's kind of our goal. We're going to talk about as many albums as we can name from this year. And then we're just kind of going to nominate each of us three, three each, nominate three albums that we think deserve to be in contention at least for album of the year and then we're gonna kind of debate our way through that and see if we can come to a conclusion or if we each kind of have one that we stick to and and we'll figure it out from there yep yeah but first but first song of the day and instead of like a song of the week me and Don have decided to try to condense the entire year into just one song and pick the song that like best describes this year for you oh um i've got i've got an idea of my song uh, maybe I can go first. I know yeah, Dallin's picking you go between first. a few. I'm like, I'm stuck Amar. between a couple. So maybe I might first. pick a song that's on his list so it'll make it easier <laughs> for him. Um, anyway, 
drum roll please um don't knock down the tripods um okay <laughs> my song of the year i'm gonna say part of the band by the part 1975 the that's yeah. such a good one that was in contention for mine <laughs> yeah yeah I, I knew it would be um and you know before i talk about it let's just play a quick clip um and then I'll get into why this song is so incredible. So I'll just start it from the beginning and play that first little bit because right. it's pretty fun. Let's do it. She was part of the Air Force. I was part of the band. I always used to burst into my hand. My, my, my imagination. Okay. Wow. Great song. Um, so let me talk about it. So part of the band, um, written and co-produced by the incredible Jack Antonoff mm -hmm. um, and Matt Healy of the 1975. Oh, yeah. And this was the first single that came out of their new album. Which, out in the summer. Yeah, it came out like way earlier this summer and kind of came out as just like a really interesting time in my life of like a lot of change and a lot of growth and um, like a lot of very strong like core memories and so I feel like this song kind of encapsulated like that sort of melancholy feeling that I had during the summer of like there's so much changing and there's so much evolving um kind of like how Maddie Healy talks about on this song where he's like imagining a life in a certain way where things went a certain direction um kind of reminiscing on like very specific memories that have been pocketed into his life and there's just so many funny moments on this song. Yeah. I, I think like one of my single favorite moments on this song is when Jack Antonoff comes in in the background, like advertising cigarettes, just kind of yeah. like his, his producer tag. I don't yeah. know, but um, love Jack Antonoff and love this song and love this album. We will definitely be talking about the album later. Yeah, I, that song. I mean, if you listen to last week's episode, we talked about this song also. Um and yeah, it's just so good. I mean, we talked a lot about like his sincerity of the song, about how he like says things in a very raw way where it's like a lot of artists, even if they talk about similar themes, they don't say it as straightforward and direct and raw in the way that he does in that song. And I think, I don't know, it was it was kind of like a weird one when it first came out, at least for me, like coming, I mean, their first song of every album cycle is always like a little bit of a, like a, a curveball that they always seem to do. Um, and but as like the whole album has now come out, like this song has grown on me so much. Like it's it's crazy. Like it's seriously one of my favorites on the entire album. And it definitely had grown on me quite a bit um, by now to the point where it was almost the one that I said in <laughs> for contention my, for, for my my song of the year. I was thinking of a couple um, on that album to be my song of the year. Um, and, you know, I think if if we already talked about part of the band, that's pretty satisfactory for me. So um, one of the other ones I had in contention is uh, Mother I Sober by Kendrick Lamar off okay. Missing Morale and the Big Steppers. Um, so let's just play a quick clip of that. If you Do you want to pull that up? I'll get it. Sweet. Oh, the yeah. old computer. And an interesting thing that we're still trying to figure out about this song is whether the bar in between yeah, whether it's an I or it's an I or a bar like is yeah I feel like it would have been like a slash if it was a divider that's why I say mother I sober but mother I sober yeah. doesn't make any sense because so. I type in I and it pops up as the correct okay. way to do it and then if I see like a song that's divided into 
the bar usually goes below the text on the bottom. Mm. So I think it's an I, but maybe he meant it to just be a bar. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. Anyway, here's Mother Sober. So I set free my mother, all the hurt that she titled shame. So I set free my cousin, chaotic, for my mother's pain. I hope Hakeem made you proud, cause you ain't die in vain. So I set free the power of Whitney, may she heal us all. So I set free our children, make a karma, keep them with God. So I set free the hearts filled with hatred, keep our bodies sacred. As I set free all your abusers, this is transformation. Alright, so... A little bit of a very emotional song, a lot of it of a very emotional song. Um, and I chose this one just because, I mean, I was looking through all the songs that came out this year, and I think this one, um, at least up until recently, probably still is my favorite song off of Mr. Morale, um, which is one of my favorite albums. Again, we'll talk about that album later, I'm sure. Um, but I feel like this song just really encapsulates and is kind of the big climax of the album at least narratively what it's trying to say um just that last little bit where he's like so i set free my mother so i set free my cousin so i set free the power of whitney my children like it's so like powerful of him because throughout the whole i mean we'll get into the actual album itself later so i don't want to talk too much about it but it's very much just like all these themes of trauma and difficult experiences and figuring out how your experiences have affected you and how in turn you've affected and impacted other people positively or negatively. It's this moment of just like release and understanding, uh, like just kind of like breaking everything down to a point where you can then start to build back up again. And I just think that last little bit on that song is just so powerful. I don't know. I, that's, that's why I chose that one. That uh, that statement reminds me of a TikTok I saw the other day. TikTok. Uh, a guy who's like thinking about talking to a girl and he's like, but I should just talk to her. And then it like zooms out from him and then like zooms out from the entire world and then goes into space. And it's kind of just saying like, what does it even matter if you get rejected like on a bigger scale? Mm -hmm. And so I think that Mr. Morale, like as an album kind of encapsulates that. But then especially this song of like, um, you know, we've made a lot of mistakes and we made a lot of choice and they affect other people. But like, on a bigger scale, like, like what is the point in the long run? Mm -hmm. um, and who am I? Where do I fit into exactly. all this in this big grand scheme? Like all these things have happened in my life or around me or to people I know. But like, what am I going to do about it? Where am I? Where do I fit in the big picture? It's yeah. yeah, it's a big. Yeah. So lots of cool nuances on this album. And another one we'll yeah. probably talk about later. Um, <laughs> probably with big. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, just one more recap of uh, our intentions here for the episode. We are going to each nominate one by one, one song of three and kind of talk album. about why we or yeah, one album um, eventually leading up to three each and talk about, you know, why it's our nomination, why it's so good. We'll kind of go back and forth. And then mm -hmm. hopefully at the end of the, the episode, we will come to a consensus together. If not, we'll maybe each individually choose our favorite album because it might be just impossible yeah. to choose. Um but that's what we got planned. All right, let's get right into it. Who should start? Dallin, you want to pop it off? and Okay. Um, there's one that I just want to make sure I get out of the way, make sure it gets nominated before anything else, and that is Motomami by Rosalia. Cue the reggaeton. <laughs> Holy cow, man. This album okay, came out really early in the year, 
I remember specifically, <laughs> we can do anecdotes on this episode, right? We can go into little little stories. So I remember this album came out. I needed some extra cash, so I was doing DoorDash. I was driving for DoorDash, delivering meals. And this album came out as I was driving for DoorDash. And so I put it on in the car and blasted it in my car as, as, I'm, as I'm cruising around listening to, to Motomami by Rosalia. And some singles had already come out by then. Um, Saoko had come out, Hentai had come out. Um, I'm trying to remember if there were any others, but... Um, I think Biscochito. Oh, maybe. I don't know. I don't remember. It's another heavy hitter on this album. Yeah, it's it's so good. Yeah, let me pull up this track list while we're, while we're talking. Which is, by the way, if you go into Motomami Plus, plus. or Motomami Mas, yeah. uh, 24 songs, which is yeah. just insane. Which, we'll see if I get into those ones. But holy cow, this album, so fantastic. Um, it's, I mean, we were just talking about Rosalia before we started filming, where she has this, these elements of like reggaeton or this like pop kind of thing going on so it's like you know has mass appeal but she has so much creativity with the production with the songwriting and with like her vocals especially like because she comes from spain she's not from latin america so there's already kind of a difference with a lot of spanish music that's popular around the world but then just her like background with flamenco and like the vocal inflections with that or then, I don't know, there's just so much creativity with it. And I think this album in particular, it got a little bit more like synthesized where there's a lot more electronic instruments and a lot more going on, not as much just like acoustic guitar that was kind of on our old stuff. Um, but I think she still kept the same creativity with, I mean, you take one of the more simple songs on it, Hentai, it's just this piano ballad with her beautiful vocals and then all of a sudden at the end, it comes in with these like this like heavy bass, like, I don't know, like glitchy kick drum thing. And it's just like and down loves his crescendos. I, I, I love when a song just hits you hard <laughs> at the end. I love it so yep. much. And it's, and it's just like that is such a good demonstration of kind of what she was doing with this album where she can take a song that, you know, anybody can listen to. Like it's fun to listen to for everybody. But she's still adding extra flair, extra flavor that is just contributing so much more to like what the actual song is. And then she's doing that consistently through the whole album. It's so good. Rosalia is incredible. And on her um, some of her earlier music, she really was using like a lot of the flamenca, um, like like classical Spanish style. Yeah, the claps, the acoustic guitar. Yeah, yeah. like very high vocals, very, very broad vocal range. And the then, like, exactly. Yeah. And then in Motomami, she starts to kind of adapt more of a mainstream sound where she is using a lot more reggaeton. She's bringing in some more pop artists. But the interesting song on this album to me is La Fama so um, <clears throat> because it follows a bachata rhythm, mm. which is, mm. yeah, mm. Da, 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 da. Mm. so dancey. Yeah. And The weekend coming in singing in Spanish, so <laughs> sick. And sick. his Spanish is perfect. And Chicken Teriyaki is such a sick song. Like, I'm just looking through this yeah. whole list, and they're I mean, all we so fun. Yeah, last week we talked about Saoko, which was my second most listened to song of the mm-hmm. year, um, which, oh, man, it'd be hard to say my very favorite, but it might be my favorite still. It's good. Is It just goes so hard, opens the album up so hard. Um, the little interlude track, Motomami, like, named after the album, is so fun. The do-do-do-do-do-do is, is with the little snaps. Diablo is one of my favorites, too. Um, because just throughout the whole album, she's she's got this 
just this creative flair. She's never, there's never a dull moment on the album where you're just like, okay, whatever. Like, okay, next. You know, like there's not, there might be songs you like less, but there's never a dull moment. Like it's never getting boring. And one of the highlights for me actually is the very last song, Sakura, where um, it's a live recording. It's the, it's, if you know Pinocchio's story by Kanye, he has like a live recording and that's the only way to listen to the song there's not like a studio recording of the song Hmm. and that's the same thing with sakura where there's only a live recording of the song on the album there's no studio recording interesting and it's super super like she's flexing her vocals so hard on that one and it's just so cool and then um what happens is um i don't know on the lyrics kind of go into that being a pop star never lasts and like all this stuff. And she's talking, she talks about fame at a few different points in the album, like La Fama mm-hmm. that she talked about. Um, but yeah, she's talking about how kind of relating to like a wilting flower and stuff like this. And just like her singing about fame and that it never lasts in a live recording to this screaming audience is such like a weird oxymoron, like oxymoron. And there's yeah. no instrumental to it either. It's just her raw vocals. And it's, it's just so cool. I don't know. It just deserves all the praise. I just wanted to make sure we got that on the list. So that's Motomami. Motomami. Great, great choice. Yeah, very proud of that choice. So good. Okay, well, I'm going to do the same thing and get out a heavy kicker that I think is in my for sure contender for top album this year. Um, It is an album that came out and really introduced me to this uh, hip hop artist. Um, This is The Forever Story by Jid. Woo! Forever story. Cue surround sound. Okay, um, so let's talk about this album. So I remember I was sitting in my room and my roommate comes up to me, Leo. Shout out Leo. Shout out Leo. And he says, hey, have you listened to this this new Jid album? And I'm like, I have no idea who you're talking about right now. Had not. I'm sure I'd heard a Jid song before, but anyway, he comes in and he's like, yeah, you should give it a listen. So listening to the album and I'm like, wow, this is so, so sick. And... I love album listening. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that's how I love to listen to music. And I played it from start to finish. Loved it. Um, so let me pull up the track list and just talk about... Yeah, this is... I mean, and then going along the chain of um, recommendation, I guess. He recommended it to you. And then if you guys remember on the podcast, if you've been a listener, you'll remember that Parker shared Crack Sandwich, right? As your yep. track of the week one week. <laughs> and that was the first song I listened to of Jid in general. I had never also never heard of him. And so I listened to that. And then I kid you not, I listened through the album and that was on repeat for probably a week, two weeks. That was like my main listen was I was just listening through that album over and over again. As I'm walking the Spain streets, I'm just like, back end up, but I'm gonna make it bound down. It's just yeah like I was just it's just it's it's a good, good listen. And now to cap it off, who are we seeing live in concert on February eighth? Jid and Smino. Jid and Smino, which it'll be a double header, not just like an opener. So yeah. um, we're pretty excited about that concert. It'll um, be super fun. But yeah, the big, like the moment that I feel like this album really solidified itself for me as like album of the year contender is when the extended version or the deluxe version came mm-hmm. out and introduced this song 2007 at the end, mm-hmm. um, which had been kind of previously released as like a SoundCloud leak or I can't remember how it got leaked, but like. It had been posted by Jid somewhere, but there was an issue with like copyright with one of the samples. 
So if you had listened to the original, you know that he makes a reference to section 80 in the album, and then it starts to play, I think, um, some some song off of section 80. I think it was like mm-hmm. Rigor Mortis or something like that. But um, on the album version now, that's taken out. So oh. um, Top Dog Entertainment, if you're listening to this, uh, screw you guys. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Let them play the sample, come on. <laughs> um, but it kind of completes like this uh, eight and eight track kind of perfect sort of loop where the first part is talking about um, I don't know a ton about the themes, but like it ends with Brudadum and then the second half ends with starts with Sissinum. And obviously, mm-hmm. like this album is all about his family, all about how they, despite their differences and like their fights that they've experienced, they come together and they always come through. So like Crack Sandwich, for example, tells the story of him and his entire family going to a party in Louisiana. They get in a bar fight. They are like putting up for each other, basically like one of his his sisters gets attacked in the the bathroom or something like that yeah. and they all got her back so it's like everybody coming in there for her, even yeah. though you know they're <laughs> yeah they're all like probably in the wrong you know for fighting but like still they they all help yeah. each other out and then the album comes to an end with 2007 which is just this awesome awesome song kind of like a um like a speech by him honestly of like this is how my life has played out since the year 2007 of me playing star cornerback or or I think he played safety in in high school going on to college and then basically like dropping out to pursue rap and his father is disappointed in him but then he kind of turns it around and turns it into this happy story of like oh I've brought my family together now because of all the success that I've had yeah it's so cool and I think one of the main things we need to talk about if we're going to talk about this album are his flows because holy cow that is what that definitely sold me on him as an artist is his flows are there I seriously don't know if yeah I I don't think any rapper that I actually consistently listen to has as many creative flows packed in as much as he does like he will be fluidly switching between like these super wild super creative flows just like back to back to back he's got beat switches in on a bunch of these songs where he'll like I don't know. It's so cool. On Stars, he's got a beat switch. On Surround Sound, he's got a beat switch. Radar. And it's just, oh, it's so fun. And like, the, there's a whole bunch of wordplay and stuff. I mean, I know a lot of people like this album. There's multiple dissect videos where he talks about some wordplay that he does. But yeah, just, I think the flows of that he does on this really kind of sold me. As That's what sold me for this being an album of the year contender is, is that. Should we, uh, should we play one of the songs for the beat change? Yeah, let's, let's see if I can pull this up on the spot. I'm, I'm thinking, uh, can't make you change. Let me see if I can pull up this beat change. They talking, I'm ashamed. They feel like I lose the game. She said in my head too hard. I try to be good, but no. I'm leaving it up to God. Squeezing a crack, ta ta. Or why did I go too far? You can't change. The only thing you want to change is the motherfucking beat. Let's talk about this shit. You know what I'm saying? My baby daddy pissed me off today. So we could talk about these niggas. Zero accountability. Yo. 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 One of yo. bad bitch, but uh, too much look, uh, A nigga want change, trying hard as I can. But it's hard to try to redesign the nature of man. D and D, she and my DM for my DNA strands. I ain't fall for this game. Anyway, there are any number of songs that I could pull up with this where like a beat change, but mm-hmm. just it's so smooth in from the one to the next, and each song flows into the next so nicely. Mm-hmm. And like it's a very well structured album, 
definitely has it's so much heart and so much thought put into it like it's yeah i'm glad you brought up this one if you didn't i probably was going to because it's it's such a good one yeah anyway that's the forever story forever story all right um okay um going back to me another one i mean we've already talked some about it but i gotta get it out of the way i gotta make sure it's on there i'm reading your mind being funny in a foreign language the 1975 it's holy cow Jeez Louise, it came out kind of late in the year because, like we said, part of the band was the first single, came out in the summer, and then they've been dropping singles since then. The whole album came out in October. Jeez Louise, man. Like, the, it's just, I mean, I've said before on the podcast that it's now my favorite 1975 album, which... Hot take, by the way. Is, it's pretty, it's a pretty big take, but, like, because, especially because I really love the 1975. I've liked them since... A little bit before their second album was about to drop was kind of when I started getting into them. And I got really into them. And I've been super into them ever since. And I've loved every single album they've put out. And I think they've kind of gone more or less progressively better. But this new album really solidified to me that like they have achieved this level of maturity with their songwriting. This level of understanding what message they want to convey through their music, what musical landscapes they want to be creating. And it was, I mean, I mean, first of all, it's just very refreshing to hear this be such a cohesive album after their last album. Because <laughs> their, their last album, I did like it, but it's 22 tracks and of every genre imaginable, just jumping around, going from house music to electronic music to yeah. country music to borderline rap music to metal. It's like the cherry bomb of the 1975. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's, and which I did like it a lot and I still listen to a lot of those songs frequently, but um, it was definitely a little bit all over the place. And then for them to just kind of like go, he says in an interview that like that last album, he was standing on a stage screaming at people what they should think or what they should say or what they should believe and like screaming his ideas at people. And this one, he's pulling it back and it's like they got a stack of, of Polaroids that they're going through, that they're they're in like a living room. Then they're looking through their memories, their experiences, things that they like, that they care about. Like they're a lot more personal, a lot more raw, a lot more genuine, instead of this big thing of them trying to project onto the world a message. It's just, okay, let, let's just talk about ourselves about what we feel about what we've experienced and musically it really reflects that because musically they brought it back in with all real instruments that was their rule for the album so they were going to use all real instruments and it's just it shows because they're they I don't know it's so just cohesive you got the strings and the saxophone kind of going through the whole thing and it just it's it's lovely I'm yeah you take over like the the instrument, like the live instrument part too, I think for me is really special just because it'll make that live experience so much more authentic when they go and play live, you mm-hmm. know. Um, we missed our chance to go see him this last weekend in, in Vegas, yeah. sadly. I was, but we have, it's me. <laughs> we've seen the 1975 before live. Mm-hmm. It was a great experience. Um, but I feel like them playing this live is going to be a lot more special. Yeah. And um, I think coming from like a music and like an orchestra background myself hearing like picking out each individual instrument is really fun to say like oh here's the piano and here's a saxophone and here's like a few violins too even you Mm -hmm. know like a couple of string instruments which is kind of fun 
Um, and I think a lot of that inspiration has come from people like Jack Antonoff or yeah. they even have, you know, extra vocals from like Japanese breakfast in there yeah. every once in a while. Phoebe which, Bridgers. Yeah, Phoebe Bridgers. And I mean, it's not like it's necessarily um, listed as like this is featuring Phoebe Bridgers. Yeah. But just those little nuances of added, you know, different characters in who like Phoebe Bridgers and Japanese breakfast have a very different sound and very different style from their traditional sound has really made them mature as a band. Yeah. I like, I think that's such a good word to describe the album is mature. Like they've reached this level of maturity of understanding who they are as a band, what they want to do. And I mean, like just going through the track list, like there are zero skips. I love it. Seriously. Every single one of these songs, it, they shortened it down. I mean, it has half as many tracks as their last album. So, (laughs) um, but it's just like every single one, all of the singles, part of the band, Happiness. I've already talked about that. That was my most listened to song. Um, just so fun, so cool. Um, and then when the album came out, I think one of the big standout ones, at least at first for a lot of people, was Oh Caroline. Because that one, it just, it's got this 80s feel to it, which a lot of their music does have kind of this like 80s popish kind of groovy feel. But like, I don't know, it's just got this level of, like doing a lot with little like yeah like they're not they like don't minimalism have, yeah they yeah. don't have so much going on they just have perfectly crafted what they need to make this perfect song and i, I feel like oh caroline represents that i feel like all i need to hear is another great example of that where there's re- relatively little going on but what is what you can hear is so interesting the guitar sounds that they do my Ethan, my older brother, the big guitar guy. And that's something that he talked about as the singles were coming out. He's like, they have really good guitar sounds on this album, Hmm. which is, it's so refreshing to hear. And I think, you know, Jack Antonoff, I think he had a lot of work with it too, helping them get like this really concise vision because he's in there working with them throughout the whole process too. Um, But I mean, not to take any credit away from the 1975 themselves because we know that they're accomplished musicians as well. And so it's just... I mean, and then the emotional highlights of the album about you, I think, is a big one for a lot of people. That's the one with if these numbers are right, it's the one with the most streams right now. Um, Forty five million. Yeah. Which I think a lot of people like that one because it kind of brought back the sound of their older music. But in this updated way with these real instruments, with this level of maturity. And it's just like such a powerhouse of these all these emotions going through with these strings. It's. Man, it's a magical album. It's yeah. oh, it's going to be hard to beat that one for me for album of the year. I uh, I always like to gauge how successful an artist's album has been by how their top five songs look on Spotify afterwards. Mm. Um, because you can have an artist drop an album and if it's kind of a chunker, like if people just don't like it, then you can go back to like their top five songs that are being listened to the most right now and it'll be like other albums, you yeah. know? But I'm scrolling through the 1975's top top songs that are being most listened to right now. And it goes, About You, Oh Caroline, I'm In Love With You, and then other songs yeah. like It's Not Living and, and somebody else. but Which are classics. Which will those, always be up there as like their top yeah, songs. Timeless. But it just goes to show that like people are listening to this album as the craft that it is. And they're not just picking out the singles. Mm-hmm. And for me, that really defines it as a good album. And... I do want to say that I have not given this album like the love that it deserves for sure. I do need to like go back mm. and listen to it a lot and no excuse for that. But I just think that sometimes like I forget about albums when they come out. And so I'm trying to figure out ways to like 
remember what's come out but yeah and but yeah so definitely keep keep giving this one a listen but i think something else that adds a little bit more merit to this album as well is i know a lot of people i mean multiple people like in the music sphere um have kind of given the nice 35 a hard time or have kind of not been fully invested in their music as much as like kind of younger people like us have um, but multiple people, I mean, talk, you know, Anthony Fantano from Needle Drop or even like people on Hive Mind, um, like for them, like this album was kind of the one that solidified them as like, okay, the 1975 hmm. kind of has got it together. Like they, like, this is like a genuine, like fully fleshed out good project that they've now put out. Um, and so like I, it's the highest score they've gotten from Fantano. Um, Riley from Hive Mind said that like this one was kind of the strong one for him as well. And so I not, mean, not a strong one, but a strong one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, not a strong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The, like a strong album yeah. from then from them. It was like kind of the one that he had most connected with, which I mean, everybody can have their own opinions regardless of what these internet celebrities say, but you know, like it, some extra validation from people who are very experienced in the music world always helps um, to like, realize okay this is something with some genuine merit to it and so i i think that's yeah. that's pretty fun too yeah and maybe one last point i'll add to this album is um you know he ends off part of the band with this line where he's like i haven't touched that in how many i picked up that in a thousand four hundred days and nine hours and 16 minutes babe yeah and he's talking about his heroin addiction that he's been trying to overcome and so I, that just made me think when you said this album feels like it's really like kind of put together I feel like also Matty Healy and his mind is like finally put together mm -hmm. and it really reflects on his music. Yeah. Uh, you watch any interview with him now, like it, it shows with that too. Like it just feels like they've reached this point of like, not of like balance within yeah. themselves as a band and they're, they've, they can show. Yeah. I don't know. They're at a point where they can put out their best stuff. That's the name of their, of their tour is the 1975 at their very best. And I think, I think it's, it's true. I, I, I subscribe to that idea. <laughs> Come back to Salt Lake, guys, please. Come back to Salt Lake, jeez Louise. But don't, <laughs> but don't go to the Salt Palace. Don't go freaking Come to Salt the Union, please. Jeez Louise, the Salt Air. Not to die. anybody who puts on live artists, love you, but the Salt Air has some problems that need to be fixed. Maybe we can do an episode sometime about. The, we'll talk about venues local. About local venues. That'd yeah. be a fun episode. Anyway. Uh, moving on, I think there is one more elephant in the room that we need to throw down on the list. Absolutely. Uh, we've touched about it already, but um, definitely for me, big contender and in my mind is going to be a tough battle to fight of like, is this the top album of this year? Um, we are going to throw up Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers by Kendrick Lamar. Oh, yeah. Do, do, do. Bow, 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 bow. Yeah, so, um, so much to say about this album. I mean, um, if you guys haven't heard the story already about how we listened to it when it first came out, because we are the biggest Kendrick Lamar fans in the entire world. But he was a top artist for both of us. <laughs> we were in the top 0.5% for listeners, so oh, just, yeah. just saying. Um, we got together in a, in a park on a dark night and <laughs> with a big old speaker in our laps and, and sat together in a circle and just on a blanket. listened to this album and just heard yeah, them... Oh, yeah, let's just paint that picture then. Dun. I hope you find some peace. Like, holy cow. Once that started and the piano came in, geez Louise. Like, that was that was one of the most powerful music listening experiences I've, I've had. Because, like, my 
listing of Kendrick Lamar had just been building up to that point. Like that I had gone through like all the dissects of all the seasons that had gone come out so far. I had really invested a lot of time into listening to Kendrick Lamar and I was and to the point where right perfectly when the album was about to drop was the most up to that point at least the biggest Kendrick Lamar fan I had been. And then it drops and it meets all expectations, I'd say. Guys, let's just let's just paint this photo for you one more time. I'm a, I'm gonna play the song. Do it. Some peace of mind in this lifetime. Tell them, tell them, tell them the truth. I hope you find some paradise. Tell them, tell them truth. Tell them, tell them, tell them, tell them your. I've been going through something. One thousand eight hundred and fifty-five days. I've been going through something. Be afraid. What is a bit? <laughs> okay, okay. I could keep playing that all day. And but. then he gets into it. And geez, and the whole album is just like that first song. Yeah, let's start by talking about United in Grief. Because whole it's just like I feel like that set up the expectations for the for the rest of the album of you can't have expectations. It's gonna be something new. And that is because, I mean, he didn't have any singles from the album that came out beforehand. He had the Heart Part 5, which he always does uh, part of the Heart series before the new album. Um, and, I mean, I loved the Heart Part 5 when it came out. Fantastic song. Cool music video. <laughs> yeah, which has now been added, like, weird, li- weirdly, like, tagged on to, like, the album on some versions. And is listed as Disc, yeah, three disc 3 right now. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting. So it's, like, just kind of, like, tagged on there, but... But no, like, actual song from the album had been released before. And so that's what was so cool about it, is listening to this album for the first time. There, there, was, no, there was no expectation. Like, you did not know what was going to happen. And United in Grief starts, and it's got that, like, the acapella voice, and then it's got the piano coming in and him going over the top of that with these weird-sounding distorted drums. And then it hits the boom, and it just comes in with the boop, doop, boop, 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 boop. And then... It's just, I don't know, it throws you for a loop. It's it's crazy. And the rest of the album follows suit with some yeah. really expectations. And I think, you know, he has this theme of really setting the theme and setting the tone in that first song. I mean, I think back to like Wesley's Theory, um, Master Splinter. Um, these songs are establishing a theme. And I think United in Grief does a great job of that thematically, lyrically, mm-hmm. musically. Um, yeah. It's just really putting together this picture of like, this is what's going to happen on this album. Get ready. And then you can get to the end of the album and you can go back and see, okay, like all of these clues tied back into this first song. Mm-hmm. Goes into N95 after that, which is such a fun song. And so fun. Then it just starts to kind of really evolve, you know? And get very serious. I mean, I yeah. don't know. I mean, Kendrick Lamar has always kind of had this reputation of being kind of a ser- very serious, always talking about like the the societal and cultural like things going on in the world and having like a statement on him but i mean i don't know if you agree with this but i'd say it's his most serious album his more date. like even his most personal album it, too. yeah most yeah most sincere most raw i mean we we talked a lot about the 1965 album about these ideas but i think that's even a stronger point on mr morale of it being just so personal to the point of like almost un- like uncomfortable at so- certain points on the album of 
being uncomfortable. But in the third song, he's talking about like how he's cheated on his like his significant other for back in Copenhagen. Back in Copenhagen, yeah. it's just like when they were together, and it's just like, oh wait, oh he's really like just saying this, like laying down specifics of these like things that you don't just say, like you don't just talk, talk about this stuff. And so it's it it's a yeah. And this goes crazy. back to our very first episode of that interview that he had with MTV, where he's like these are my experiences, you know, like he's talking about his life and that's mm-hmm. always something he's done. Um, I want to circle back on a point you made about the 1975. Uh, I, I feel like this album in a lot of ways is like the 1975 album being funny in foreign language as is damn is to their previous album mm. because I feel like damn was talking a lot about like, here's what's wrong with the world and everybody should fix it and go do it mm-hmm. versus this album is a lot more like, I told you guys all this stuff, but like my breathing mask wasn't on in the terms of like an airplane, right? Yeah. Like they always say, secure your friends or secure your your own own before before you secure your loved ones. And Mm so I think he really had to take a step back, take off the crown, right? Like he talks about in crown. Do some reflection. Yeah. And do some reflection (laughs) and really think about himself in an outside reflection of like, wow, I've been a hypocrite telling everybody to improve when in reality I have my life in shambles and I've got all of these things I need to resolve. These past traumas that I need to deal with and learn exactly. how to cope with. And he has always tried to cope with this, this idea that he's preordained to be like the next face of, of hip hop mm-hmm. as visited personally by Tupac in a dream, right? Yeah. If we believe his story, like that's what he's living his life by this idea stressful idea honestly that mm-hmm. you know i've been handed the reins i've yeah. pressed the button like there's like a story Snoop of yeah, says. yeah yeah there's the, the story of like the biggest like west coast rappers like literally in a show passing off the torch to him yeah. as the new like face and new like hope of of hip-hop and like that like the pressure of all that that he kind of willingly took upon himself as well and like throughout his music is you know like kind of embodying this this savior like savior like mentality and yeah like you're saying this album is where he kind of like but i'm not your savior yeah realizes and kind of steps back and states like hey like i i can't be your leader i can't be your prophet i can't be your savior i need to go back do a reflection through my own life see where i've messed up see where i've been messed up and fix these things in my life to fix my life and my like my real life going forward and it's a powerful powerful idea i mean yeah what are are some other highlights on this album for you well i just want to talk about we cry together real quick too definitely the song that like we don't like to talk about a lot um (laughs) because it is intense and if you've seen the music video too it's just like what is happening right now but it is from a musical standpoint and from like a theatrical standpoint i keep using that word a lot but like it really is painting a picture um he creates a very, very graphic and visceral image of like what these arguments have looked like for him and then crashing back on himself into this sexual addiction that he has, you know, of like, I'm fighting with my girl and we we have these issues that we can't resolve. Let's just try to solve it with sex, honestly. Mm -hmm. And like, it doesn't work out, you know, like he's got to find other ways to cope. So that's when Purple Hearts comes in, which I love that transition into like, we cry together from that to purple hearts, which is just like this song of love and of like trying to figure things out and um, him like going through this album, kind of having a monologue with Whitney and with, with Eckhart to his therapist 
um, or I guess this this famous psychiatrist, you know, mm-hmm. um, figuring out these issues throughout the album is just such an interesting story, you know. Yeah, it's so cool. One thing I wanted to point out with We Cry Together, um, this is something that Riley from Hive Mind said, and they did an episode on Mr. Morale when it came out, um, that he said, but it's really stuck with me because I, th- I agree with it a lot, is um, he kind of pointed out that the thesis statement of the album in a lot of ways can be encapsulated with that voice that comes in right before we cry together really starts where it says stop tan- tap dancing around the conversation. Oh, we know it's at the, the end of the song. Yeah. Uh, stop tap dancing around the conversation where it goes into purple hearts. Yeah. Yep. Where, and that like statement can really wrap up a, a lot of the themes of this album where not only is it the idea of like dancing around a conversation where you're, cause I mean, if it was just dancing around the conversation, that's already a phrase. And I feel like that would have been said where, you know, dancing around a conversation, you're avoiding, the real issues in your life you're focusing on these other things where there's this elephant in the room that you need to be addressed but instead he chooses to use the word tap dancing around the conversation which gives off this visual that's a lot more performative hmm. which i think is also a lot of the themes of the album where like i mean think of n95 where he's calling out people for being these performers but like the foo yeah who who actually are you you have all the this this performance of who you're putting on to the world but who actually are you and at the beginning, he's calling out these other people for it. But then, you know, later on, kind of recognizing, okay, I've been given off this performance of who I want the world to perceive me as, to perceive me as this prophet, as this savior. Yeah. But, like, who am I actually? What are the, What is the elephant in the room that I'm dancing around? What, what am I tap dancing around? And then really getting to the point of that throughout the rest of the album, leading down to what we talked about already, Mother I Sober, where it kind of wraps up all of these ideas in a really, really emotional way. That's a song that I really rarely listen to because it's it's so heavy to listen to. Um, but I think it's so important where he's just really recognizing these problems that not necessarily caused by him or like to fault anybody. Or but, maybe caused by him or too. Or maybe caused by yeah. him too. It's like, it, it, it's a blend of so many things and it's just, and but just him realizing like there are things I have a responsibility to myself and those around me to fix these things and move forward in a positive direction. And that requires kind of like I said, when I was talking about the song is just like tearing down all of this fake stuff, all of this stuff that does not matter. Tear all of that down, start from square one and then like start from there like set himself free and set free all these people around him so he can start over and then it leads into mirror where you know i choose me i choose me i'm sorry and that's like kind of his statement to the world with this album is hey i'm gonna be working on myself now like this is i'm gonna i'm gonna be me i'm gonna start from square one build myself up into the person i know i should be not the person that i've claimed to be not the person that people have said that i am I'm going to be the person that I, I need to be for myself, for my family. And it's just, it's a, it's a powerful album. Mm, I love it. Guys, we could do a whole episode on this album. We could. Um, <sighs> definitely time to move on to the next songs. So we've each got one nomination left. Um, and Dallin's going to hit us with his last nominee. Ooh, okay, this is where it gets tough. Because we've, we've said some really good ones. I think one that... It's just too fun for me to not talk about. I think I'm going to talk, bring up Un Verano Sinti, Bad Bunny. I had a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so good. And like it was really the Spotify rap at him be showing up on my, my artist page that, 
that kind of reminded me of the fun of this album. And I mean, I, I've been listening to it a lot recently. I mean, it's not an, exactly a very wintry album. Definitely. A, <laughs> it's um, um verano, if you guys don't know, means a, a summer, summer without you. A summer without you. Yeah. Um, and the, it's definitely very reflected in the music is the summery vibes of the of the album. And my older brother, if he ends up watching this, is going to be laughing because we were just talking about this album and some of its imperfections. But I think it's worth talking about is um, it's just it's so fun. It's it's definitely on the longer side. It's got a lot of tracks on it, um, a lot that I don't listen to very frequently. But overall, I think this is it's hard to just hard to say exactly, but it might be Bad Bunny's strongest to date. Which wow, it's a it's that's, a, that's has, a take. It's it's a take, but I say that because let me pull up the track list quick for for this. If you guys don't know, this also is a twenty three track album. Twenty three track and the not interludes either. Like they're all full songs, and each <laughs> song has over two hundred fifty million streams. Yeah, they, I mean, Bad Bunny. He was the most listened to artist. This is like his third year in a row, I think, being the most listened to artist on Spotify globally. Yeah, globally. Wow, which. He deserves it, like, because I think, let's just talk about him for a second, and we've said some of this before on the podcast, where he has found a way to push a genre forward that is so fun and exciting to see right now, because reggaeton obviously has been around for a while, kind of in these Latin communities, but Bad Bunny is really, right now, the pioneer of bringing it to the world, I mean, evidenced by, he's the top artist, Yep. but not just in a not by doing the thing that everybody else is doing, not by doing the thing that has been done in the past, but by switching it up and trying new things and being, I, I mean, experimental is kind of a big word to use, but like, you know, like expanding the genre in ways that it hasn't seen before. Doing blends of, you know, this rock and reggaeton or dance music and reggaeton, electronic music and reggaeton together that you, you don't see. And he's, I don't know. He's got to be, he's kind of the king of the world right now in, in regards to like streams, especially within like Spanish speaking community. And so it's, I don't know. I love, love, love this album. I I look at all of your nominees, Dallin, and I see two Spanish albums. I just, I just wonder if you had never gone to Spain or if yeah. we had never learned how to speak Spanish, like how many Spanish albums would be on this. I'm, but it's yeah. awesome because like we've experienced these different cultures and there is just such a blend of ideas like going on in the world right now of reggaeton is so big in South America and Latin America. And now like, oh, the U.S. is starting to pick up on us like this stuff is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that Bad Bunny does is takes this genre, which in my opinion, like can be very bland easily. Mm -hmm. Like you can you can screw up reggaeton very easily. Yeah. And, and he manages yeah. to like keep or, it. Yeah. Just keep it boring. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's this really interesting artist who's also making just these super, super cool music videos, mm -hmm. is collaborating now with like American artists. And you can read through this and just see all of the different people that he's been singing with here, like Maria's. Yeah. Um, Raul Alejandro is a, is a big one. He's got Jai Cortez. Which Raul Alejandro, Jai isn't he um, Rosalia's boyfriend? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Which is, is super fun. But yeah, I think just going along, talking about this album in particular, Something that, I mean, for me, definitely stands out with this album is it's the most cohesive of his album so far. I think that's not a stretch to say where it all follows the same idea of 
summery, like not summery, but like summer-ish, summer-y. summer vibes. Um, these summer vibes, beachy vibes, um, but with this emotion mixed in of, hey, things are good. My life is going great. Things are awesome. But like there's something missing. And like in my life, there's this emotional side to me too. It's not all just party all the time. It's not just like the these cool things. Like there, there's this emotional stuff too, which is encapsulated with the name of the album, like A Summer Without You. Yeah. And I think it's it's so cool. Like from the first song, he's talking about it. But then like all throughout the song, the album, he brings up these ideas of like, I've like, things are going well for me, but there's like the i'm i'm actually a person too like there's this these emotions behind me too he's he's been really good about that throughout his career um but i think he's very cohesive with his album um of like the things that that he's trying to say and musically very very cohesive with some absolute bangers el apagón got the like super heavy synths in that so danceable. Neverita is one of the ones I've been listening to a lot. Titi me preguntó. Titi me preguntó. That one in Spain popped off. That I heard that every single time I went to the discoteca. Selfie. Say cheese. <laughs> I actually have a tradition with that song where every single, like, there's the one time where it actually does the camera sound. Uh-huh. Every time I hear that song, like, either playing somewhere or I play it, I always take a selfie at that part. Whoever I'm with. Like, normally I'm with people, and so I take a little selfie with, with that. It's kind of fun. But yeah, it's just such a fun song. Kayaita has been one of his biggest songs since a long time ago. That's been out for like years and years. I was going to say it, it has like an old song. Yeah, and it finally found its place on this album because it was just out as a single. And so it finally got its place on an album. And I think also if we're going to talk about the album of 2020... If we're talking about it, I mean, this is the biggest album of the year. Yeah. By streams. Mm-hmm. So that's... A, I, yeah, it's worth talking about if, yeah. if it's to that level for sure. Yeah. It's just... Yeah. It's so fun. Yeah. And I, I think that kind of leads me into my last pick, which is if we're going to talk about album of 2020... Um, Two. 2022. I know. said Time that like flies. three times. <laughs> Jeez. Um I'm going to talk about Harry's House by Harry Styles. All right. Might be an interesting take. Um, and, you know, I like Harry Styles a lot. I think that he has had a really big influence on pop music this year, especially. And I think it would be kind of a shame to not talk about this album. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, Bad Bunny is, like, the Latin artist of the year for sure. Um, Harry Styles is maybe behind Taylor Swift, and we could definitely mention Midnight's. Um mm-hmm. I think for both of us, it didn't necessarily like Live hit up us to, yeah. super personally, but like Harry's House, I think is a really fun album. It's really like it does what it's supposed to do, which is reach a very big audience and be very easily listenable. So mm-hmm. I want to hear your thoughts on the album too. Yeah, I, I mean, I like I've liked Harry Styles since he went. I never really listened to One Direction. I respect their music. I don't have any problem with One Direction, but. Like ever since he went solo and with his first album, I've been a fan of his, um, but definitely not the biggest fan in my family because Ethan, my older brother, and my little sister Anna especially, they <laughs> love Harry Styles so much. I cannot escape this man because of how much they love him. Um, but I think this album, it really, it, it is really good. Like I, I think that, like you're saying, he 
in a similar way to Bad Bunny, he's taking sounds that people are familiar with, um, a style of music that people are familiar with, but he's even at this big level where th that's that's what I kind of respect. I'm gathering my thoughts with this, but like when you get to a certain level of fame that he's at, he could put out whatever he wanted. Like he could put out the most derivative, bland songs imaginable and he would make millions. Like it it does not matter what he puts out at this point. Same thing with Taylor Swift, same thing with Bad Money, same thing with all these major artists that are at this level. It does not matter what they put out. They are going to make money and people are going to eat it up. I mean, does, perfect example of that, Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. <laughs> he's, he's at that level. It does not matter what he puts out. It will get streams. He'll make money. Yep. And that that's all that, you know, it, for some people, that's all that matters. But what I respect about Harry Styles is that I feel like while he is still toying with the same ideas um, that he has before, he's still finding ways to like push forward, at least for his personal sound. He's trying new things. He's not staying in his same exact lane. He's expanding. He's progressing. And I think talking about like co a cohesive album, like I feel like this falls under that as well, where like all the sounds on the album fit very well with each other. Um, it's uh, like sonically distinct from his past albums. And I think, yeah, I, I enjoy this album. I think it's really good. Okay. Well, that is Harry's House by Harry Styles. Um, we have reached a total of six albums. Six albums. So I'm just going to say them one more time. So we got Motomami by Rosalia. Yes, sir. Uh, I did The Forever Story by Jid. Mm -hmm. Then Dallin did Being Funny in a Foreign Language by the 1975. Then I did Mr. Morel and the Big Steppers by Kendrick Lamar. And finally, Dallin finished things off by Un Verano Sinti by mm -hmm. Bad Bunny. And I nominated Harry's House by Harry Styles. Yeah. And before we get into kind of debating our way through those, are there any honorable mentions you wanted to just shout out real quick before we get into stuff? I'm glad you brought it up. I'm going to shout out, um, I'm going to say three more albums, okay? Okay. Definitely King's Disease 3 by Nas. Um, just came out actually a few weeks ago, mm -hmm. finishes up. If he's inten intending to do a trilogy, it is the last of the KD albums. Um, Nas is just one of those timeless rappers that I think has honestly like really matured over time and come to a point where maybe his older stuff, like I didn't enjoy it so much, but like all three King's Disease albums, I, I really enjoy. Um, second, I'm going to put up a nomination for Renaissance by Beyonce just because if we're going to talk about albums of 2022, I think it's got to be on there. Um, she just does what she does. Like it's, it's for me, nothing like nothing that I wouldn't have expected from Beyonce at this point. Yeah. Um, she's the queen. She is the queen and she makes it known by just coming out with kind of a banger of an album and um, not like my style. I like Beyonce, but isn't necessarily like the person that yeah. I go to. That's kind of where I'm at too. But I think she is, at least for her level, kind of we're talking about these, you know, these artists that are at this like kind of untouchable level. Yeah. I think she's one of these artists where you can consistently expect something very well thought out, very like not necessarily heartfelt, but like ha has a lot of heart to it and is like a very well constructed, like powerful album. Yeah. Like, she, she's not going to be throwing out whatever. Like she like whenever she's dropping an album, it's going to be something worth your time, worth listening to that is, is very genuine and cool. And she's still she and Jay-Z still uh, blow my mind every single year that they're still married. Kicking it. Just still kicking it with, <laughs> with what, four daughters, something like that. That's awesome. 
And uh, last one, I'm going to throw it out there. Um, I said Midnight's already, but I'll say it one more time. I think I think Midnight's is... Um, I think it's a good album. I think that it has its songs and its moments. And we've talked about this before, but personally for me, the the time in my life when I got into Taylor Swift was more along like the Evermore folklore mm. yeah. kind of era where she was really slowing things down and starting to find like a new voice of her own. Mm-hmm. And um, especially like I love folklore. Um, I think it has like a very wintry, very folly sort of mm-hmm. feel. And then having Midnight's come out and she really kind of dug back into her pop roots of Mm -hmm. um, like very, very poppy, very upbeat, very like radio friendly songs, Um, which for me, like it it wasn't what I wanted to hear and what I love to hear. But I think for Taylor Swift fans who have been with her since day one, it was a special album. Yeah, I think and I think that's something worth saying is, I mean, I talked to we have multiple friends where this if we asked them their album of the year, they probably wouldn't hesitate to say it was Midnight's. And I think that this album really did resonate with a lot of people, especially a lot of girls um, and women, where like a lot of things she talks about with her experiences. I think that's true of a lot of her albums, but um, I think this one especially was very much just, you know, directed about these specific experiences that she's had and these experience, specific emotions where maybe it didn't resonate with people like us like we we maybe couldn't relate to it and musically for me it didn't it wasn't interesting enough to like have me have it on repeat i feel like there was a lot of similar sounds throughout it without like too much going on um but i definitely think there's a lot of merit to it especially when it can you know like resonate with so many people i think it's worth talking about and worth mentioning as as one of the highlights of the year yeah great thoughts yeah. Okay, Don's going to hit us with his honorable mentions. Honorable mentions. Um, I'll also bring up three. Um, I think one to start. Um, it's hard to remember that this album came out this year because um, it was so early in the year. But like January, I think. January was Don FM yeah. by The Weeknd. Um, this album, it kind of faded over throughout the year. I kind of stopped listening to it as, as the year went on. But um, right there near the start, it was so fun. Because kind of what I was saying when that album came out is I feel like he was toying with the 80s sounds more and more throughout like his discography i mean after hours the album before this was very much leaned into those 80s sounds with songs like blinding lights but then i feel like this album he just fully like jumped into it and these sounds are like crazy sound exactly like these 80s sounds with gasoline with how do i make you love me um and i yeah it's a great album it's got so many just like easy not not easy listens in like a in a bad way but like they're they're bangers that you want to put on you want to listen to them over and over again like he was really just kind of on top in in the pop sphere at the beginning of the year and so i think that's definitely an album worth talking about yeah what are your thoughts on don fm yeah um for me it wasn't from the get-go an album that i listened to a lot um i did like the 80s kind of vibe and I don't think that there was a particular reason I didn't listen to it a lot. I just think it yeah. kind of fell off onto oh, the yeah. wayside and I was listening to different music at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what you said was interesting of how throughout the year it hasn't necessarily held up as one that people are listening to consistently. And for the moment, like it was good. But I think for album of the year, it's it's hard to say. Because yeah, it's it lacking really something. Up. It's hard to say what, yeah. but like I think just like the staying power. I think that's something... 
that's kind of important yeah. when you're talking about an album to encapsulate the entire year is the staying power of it. And granted, it has passed a lot of time since it came out, but the fact that it hasn't exactly held up in the rotations for a lot of people, I don't really hear anybody talking about it. Yeah, I think disqualifies it a little bit. Um, All right, number two. Really quickly um, going through, um, I wanted to mention the Brockhampton albums. I, I, I'm kind of combining both of them for it. The Family and TM. The, the Family and TM. Um, it may be, I know for a lot of people, it wasn't exactly the farewell that they they wanted from Brockhampton. They expected like something a little bit more solid, but I think just that it exists and what it represents is is kind of cool. Um, Cause you know, they announced their, their breakup and it was sad for a lot of people and a lot of fans. And, but the fact that they, you know, they could bring it together, have this last kind of goodbye message. I mean, for me, the family is the stronger of the two. Um, I think just as a message of the albums, but I think it was, it was, it was cool that it came out cool that it existed. And I think, especially for people who have been longtime fans of Brockhampton, it was, it was a very valuable addition to to their discography to kind of wrap things up. Um, so I think that was pretty cool. Yeah. One thing I learned recently about this kind of like surprise second album that for me it makes TM a little bit, I don't know, it kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth is that they signed to a record label when I can't remember what it was. It might've been uh, Columbia records, but Brockhampton signed to a record label when they first formed in Texas and they signed a record contract that this said that over the course of, I think it was five or 10 years that they had to release six albums. Mm. And so I was, I was counting through all of the albums and TM was, I thought it was number five, but then I realized that Peach by Just Kevin Abstract actually counted towards oh, that number six, which is kind of interesting. But yeah, it, it completed like the six albums that they were required to release. Um, and it just kind of makes me feel like, because honestly, what TM is, is it's a collection of unreleased songs from a different project that they never put out. Yeah. Um, which is why it sounds so incoherent, you know, like you listen through it and there are good moments, but as an album, it's just kind of dumb. And then yeah. you can, you can even see how poorly it's held up because like the last song goodbye has like 700,000 streams, which oh, is wow, not, yeah. not very many at all. And you can see the numbers just decline. Like the first couple have one and two million and then it just goes down to like six and 700,000. So just a little bit of a disappointing go out from one of my personal favorite musical groups. Um, but, you know, there's always saturation. Yeah, there's always saturation. You can always go back to those. Yeah. But yeah, um, I wanted to shout those out. And then the last one I'm going to shout out um, that maybe would have even been worth bringing up for the for the contenders is LP3 by Hippocampus because that album came out this year. I know. It hard. did? Yeah. I thought it was 2021. No, 2022. <laughs> I would have for sure said that as one of my top albums. Yeah. 2022. Wow. I thought it came out 2021. Yeah. The other one I thought about that I realized February, came yeah. out this year also was Coins album. Also came out this year, Uncanny Valley, which is a pretty fun one too. It was all right. It wasn't for me... <laughs> Yeah, it, it, not as yeah. not as strong. So that's why I, I want to talk about LP three more. Um, Hippocampus band that I've increasingly loved um, throughout the years, um, and th- I think this was a really really strong addition to their discography. Um, kind of r- holds up with a lot of the other things we've said about other albums, where very cohesive musically. Um, they're trying something new while still giving something that they know their fans will like. 
Um, and I, I think it, I don't know, the songwriting is really clever. Um, the instrumentation is really interesting on this album as well. Um, some highlights, Listerine is a song that I listen to very frequently Gosh, still. So good. So good. Ride or die. So fun. Um, that light just died. Um, it's all right. Um, but ride or die, super fun song. Um, there's just, there's a lot to say about this album is about how, um, how fun it is. I think this album, I think the highlights for me, other than ride or die and Listerine, I think boys, which I think boys did come out last year, um, is, is a really good one and understand wraps up the whole album really well musically. I don't know. Overall, really, really good album. I, I think you really like this album as well, right? Yeah, I, I am surprised that this came out in 2022. I could have sworn it came out in 2021. <laughs> um, this might have even honestly made my top three list, but just reading through some of these songs, I mean, Scorpio is awesome. Boys is so fun and ends off with Understand. Such a fun song and such a sweet song. Mm-hmm. And I like what you said. It's like this is an album that I could tell they really enjoyed making. And they were making music that they loved, but also like their their fan base was gonna love it too. And for me, just the production of it is so catchy and so yeah. like contagious. I just I love listening to how the songs kind of move back and forth with one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I do really love this album. It's super good. I think the second half for me is really where it starts coming together, and like the whole second half is so strong, just hit after hit after hit. And yeah, it's 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 a winner. It also fits that kind of like fall time vibe, some wintry vibes too. I yeah, I, I love it. Well, all right, we have made it here to the final f- segment of the episode, oh, which man. is going through our top albums and choosing number one. Um, I've been thinking hard about this this whole conversation, and <sighs> for me, it's come down it's come down to two. Me too. I think I think for me. It's between Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers and the Forever Story by Jid. Okay. And I might be biased because I listened to a lot of hip hop this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, the drum roll please, I'm going to go with the Forever Story by Jid. Really? Am, and I think I've come to the consensus in my mind that this is the album of the year. Okay. Wow. Interesting. So I, I also had two in my mind and I... The two in my mind were Mr. Moran, the Big Steppers, and the 1975's album, Being Funny in a Foreign Language. Those were the two up near the top for me. And, jeez, oh, Louise, that's so hard. Here, you, 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 okay, give well, your Dallin, argu- you give your arguments first. While Dallin's figuring really out in his mind, this. I'll go ahead and talk through my reasoning I here. I thought you were going to choose Mr. Morale, and then it was going to be so easy. Because <laughs> I would argue for the 1975, you'd argue for that. I know, I made it confusing, but um, here's the thing is, like, Kendrick Lamar, he's had his run. And I feel like this this album is, I don't want to say that it's like saying that he's done, but this is, for me, an album that was like highly personal for Kendrick Lamar and was definitely a masterpiece in itself. But I feel like if I think about this album in like a representation of, of the year as a whole and like the music industry as a whole and just, I mean, I could definitely argue it in the sense that like, oh, I saw... Kendrick Lamar in concert for the first time and for me personally like it is an important album Um, but I think that I'm going to say Forever Story by Jid just because I think that it's a super super important album for rap Mm -hmm. and putting Jid on the map like it just did is going to be a big deal I mean if you guys don't know he just got nominated didn't win but got nominated for multiple Grammys for this album Mm. and 
um, just the way that he flows, the way that he produces, the way that he incorporates other artists into his music, and the way that he crafted this album into <clears throat> like a really fun loop between the first half and the second half um, is really special. He managed to make a very, very good album, which, um, you know, not a lot of rap artists are doing right now, but he was pushing the music in a certain direction versus Mr. Morel and the Big Steppers. It was influential in the sense that like, oh, let's get rap artists talking about their personal life. Yeah, I feel... But I don't think that like musically and I don't think that production wise it had that big of an influence on the rap community as Forever Story did. Yeah, that and that's the, the big discussion is the, the matter of influence, because I think that is so important to discuss. But like Mr. Merrill, I, I feel like just the creativity and the how out of left field so many of the sounds on it are, I feel like it's such a big part too, where it's like, you know, that every every year is gonna have its its heavy hitters, its popular ones, but like the the ones that like stand out because of how different and unique they are, like that's such a powerful thing too. And so that's what Mr. Morrell has going for it. And just the personal nature of it, that and I think the fact that it's coming from this like legend like I th- he's he's achieved legend status i feel like that's not debatable yeah in that like coming from this legend and still being this out of left field album i feel like is so cool but i do see what you're saying about forever story and how, what it represents for hip hop as a whole instead of just a a personal statement yeah and so I'll 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 digress on the Mr. Oh, that's so hard to do. I'll digress on the Mr. Morale point and I'll solidify my album of the year as being funny in a foreign language by the nineteen seventy-five. Wow. And I'll 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 give my arguments for this now. Cause I mean, we've spent the episode drawing some parallels between that and Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. Um, but what I think for me, like the reason I would put this album there is that it's in a arguably wider sphere than hip hop. Hip hop is definitely one of the most prevalent genres of today, but you know, alternative or pop or whatever the album it falls under is a bit of a wider scope. And I think just, it, it has some similarities to some of these other things that we've been talking about where they're an established artist. They've come out with a lot of music that a lot of people like, they're pretty well respected, but then coming out with this album that has this emotional side to it, but this commercial appeal as well. Like this is one of their their bigger albums. It's gaining traction. People are listening to it, and just everything we've said. I just can't bear not putting my heart and soul behind these songs as like some of the more important songs of the year, at least for you know, people our age, like, I think just these having this, not, I don't, I don't want to say guide, but like this idea to follow of appreciating the experiences you're having in your life, taking account of your life. These, I feel like these are themes that show up in a lot of these albums, which is so, so fun um, of just recognize, like t- reflecting on your own life and sharing your experiences. Everybody, recognizing who they are as people contributing your uniqueness to the world i don't know i think those are all themes that are wrapped up so well in this 1975 album and that's 
Oh man. But yeah. You make you make subject. a fair point. Um, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna counter. Um, okay, counter. We're getting some b- debate mode. Yeah. So, um, Jid and the 1975, two very similar artists on Spotify. Jid has 20 million monthly viewers or uh, listeners. The 1975 has 16 million, so very similar. Um, they have very similar numbers in terms of like listens on their album between like five and 15 million mm-hmm. streams per total total plays per song. Um, so I think that like the the reach is very similar. Wow. I just I feel like I feel like Jid fits more into a community than the 1975 does. In the mm-hmm. sense of like, Jid is having a direct impact on on hip hop music itself. Yeah. Versus the 1975. I mean, you can fit them into like the indie pop rock genre, but it's like not, it's not as tight as hip hop is. And I feel like in that sense, Jid has had the ability to like really influence hip hop. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a lot of similarities. Like you were saying that you know influentially, the 1975 is having this interesting message of like. Um, you know, discovering yourself and getting over your your demons and, and mm. having like a positive growth on yourself. And this realness to it. Yeah. Musically and lyrically showing this level of real and genuine. I think genuine like is one of the traits in people, in music and everything that I appreciate the most. And so that's yeah one of the things. I would say the same for the forever story where that's it's like he's point. he's spreading this message in hip hop, which arguably needs this message more of of family. And and coming together despite our differences and like learning from our mistakes. But then also, maybe that theme isn't quite as strong as like the 1975 is. But I just I love listening to this album like on a personal level. I like I like this album a lot, and it's just fun to listen to. the The beats and the flows are so fun. Every song like I can I can't pick out personally like a song in this album that I don't love. but I think also this is just coming from personal bias of the yeah. fact that this was like in my top listened album list for sure mm-hmm. versus I didn't really give being a funny in a foreign language a great yeah. go this and, year. And see, and that's where I run into trouble is I, I mean, I listened through the Forever Story multiple times and I love almost every song on it. Like there's still, there's a few, especially kind of near the end where it's like, I don't know, maybe like money or better days. Like I just kind of like, that, like they're good. Those are two of my favorites what? on the album, man. I, I Come don't know. on. It's like that. Like by that <laughs> point on the album, like I'm like okay, you know, or like just in time. I just kind of like. Dang, I believe the opposite. It gets stronger for me as it goes really? on. Yeah, that's so interesting. See, like, like the strongest ones for me on that album are, Lauder Two is maybe my favorite on it. Which is funny because that's the one I would say is my least favorite. Really? Well, I feel like it was always an incomplete end to the album. Interesting, yeah. And then finally 2007 came along and I was which, like, okay, this is Which good. is fair. I mean, that's how he intended the album to be. Yeah. And so, man, I think, I and I love the the start so much. Like, Radar, Dance Now, Crack Sandwich, Can't Punk Me, me Surround too. Sound. <laughs> like, those first ones hit so hard for me. Um, oh, See, I think, like, if we or having to come to a consensus, I would be willing to concede <laughs> to you. Down's Down's conceding here. Cause well No here, no no. Here's the thing. Is like like for me on a on a, on a personal level, my favorite album of the year is the ninety seven five album. Yeah. And for me on a personal level, my favorite is the Forever Story. Yeah. And but yeah, it but if we're talking best 
or the album of 2022, if we were to like put one down in our shelf to like encapsulate, frame it on the wall, frame it on the wall. We have every year lined up and this is on the wall, the album of 2022 that we're choosing. I would definitely be comfortable putting the forever story on there because of all the reasons you said. And I think the, the real, real edge that you have with this album is the impact and the influence aspect. And I think also the representation of that, this album is what is bringing Jid into the spotlight as a like very well-respected genuine, like, Oh, like he's the real deal artist. You could say that for the 1975 though, because you, you made the same point of like the 1975 that's finally solidified think, for me that they're credible. Yeah, but I think the Forever Story did the same thing. I think they both had that effect, but I think the Forever Story had more of that effect. Yeah. Of like really, so like I am so, like, I mean, I've always liked the 1975. I'm probably going to like any album they put out, but like jid i had never listened to him before i still haven't listened to a ton of his older stuff but like this album has me like actively excited for the music he's going to be putting out in the future like when he's when he drops a single getting ready for his next album i'm going to be on the hype train really excited for the next album to come out which would have been true with the 1975 regardless for me but i think the fact that an album can come out of somebody who was unknown for a lot of people or at least to people like me and have the level of impact that it has had on me and then the impact on that genre of music as a whole i think is is a super valid point and can kind of solidify it as yeah now obviously all of this is is very subjective yeah. um here's what i say we do i say if we call the album of the year uh mr morale and the big steppers because it was common between the both of us <laughs> yeah we can and we'll make a branch out where it's like here's the king album and then both of our like our personal favorite albums i think we've yeah. established um mm-hmm. but i'm okay saying that mr morale and the big steppers is like the album of the year between the two of us yeah i think yeah i i mean if i were to rank the three of my personal favorites i would go 1975 mr morale forever story and would you do the opposite of that? Would you do Forever Story, Mr. Morale, 1975? Of those three? Not of those three, of those three, yeah. Yeah, not saying yeah. 1975 wouldn't necessarily would. be your three. And so, yeah, if we're, if we're taking that one, showing it up to the top. I'm I'm happy with that because I think, yeah, I think for all the reasons we've stated where the level of, I think it's only fitting, especially for us. He was our top artist of the year. First time seeing him live for both of us. Yep. Um, this is the, beside, we make the rules. We make the gosh dang rules. It's our podcast. You know what? You know what? Episode's over. <laughs> we make the rules. It can be our personal opinion. And yeah, yeah I think Mr. this was the year of Kendrick Lamar for us. This was my biggest lesson of Kendrick Lamar. This album met and exceeded all of my expectations. It was a game changer in a lot of ways. I think is a turning point for his music um, and him as a person. I think it represents a lot. Within the hip hop sphere, maybe doesn't have the level of influence that you're saying with Forever Story, but definitely was a very big cultural moment. I think you'd be hard pressed to find a year end list from any reputable music site or person that would not include this somewhere in their top 10. Yeah. Like this, this album has so much. So Ooh, there we go. That was a roller coaster. So we've come, around the big steppers. We've come to the consensus and our own personal consensus. Yeah. <laughs> um, if that's even a word. And um, 
This is already definitely our longest episode ever. So, I know. Jeez um, Louise, how late are we? <laughs> definitely past an hour at this point, so we'll go ahead and stop it here because we don't want you guys to have to watch a whole movie. Yeah. Um, but this is going to have to render and be put on YouTube, so. Yeah, but thanks everybody for listening throughout the year. It's seriously been super duper fun doing this podcast. Um, going into the new year, we have a lot of fun plans, um, but it's been, it's, I'm so happy we're still doing it. It's exciting. It's been a great year for music. It's been a great year for us. Um, and so all, all the best things coming forward. We hope yeah. all, everybody, all of our listeners that things go well for all you guys. And, and, uh, go ahead and drop down in the comments right now. Um, what is your musical new year's resolution? Let's do that. Cause last episode we, we asked them what their top artist or their top oh, album yeah. is. Um, so yeah, what's your musical resolution? Do you want to listen to a hundred thousand minutes of music? I do. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be hard. Um, we have friends who have reached that point, which is yeah. like the top of the pyramid. Um, but I've got some goals. Maybe next episode we can talk about those yeah. goals. We can it kind of fun. New Year's resolution <laughs> party together. Will Dallin break his vinyl addiction? <laughs> Will Dallin's bank account leave survive 2023? <laughs> Will it go in the red? We'll Find see. Out next we'll, year. We'll, we'll make these resolutions next episode. That'll be fun. But until then, thanks everybody for listening. This has been Beside the Point. I'm Dallin. And I'm Parker. And this is Beside the Point. Take it easy, guys. See ya. Peace out.